Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined as always by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, classical liberalism and the Democratic Party. This is the second in a two-part series that we're doing, Richard. Last week, we talked about the Republican Party, and so I will start this week by asking you the same question about uh, the Democrats that I asked you about Republicans, which is before we get into criticisms, when in recent history do you think that they were functioning the most in accordance with classical liberal principles? You have a fair amount of classical liberals who actually feel pretty warmly about the, the Clinton years. Would you fall into that category? Um, you know, apart from his personal peccadillos, it seems to me that the Clinton, when he was president in 1993 to 2001, was a more sensible man than the Clinton who takes to the hustings today in part in support of his wife, who was, I think, a good deal further to the left than he was then. It's also, I think, probably the case that Clinton, like most Democrats, has migrated further to the left since he was last president and probably finds it easier to bridge the gap between his earlier principles and his wife's position because he has changed along with the rest of the Democratic Party. But if one wants to sort of figure out what are the high points of the Democratic Party from the point of view that I have, I think Clinton's willingness to support welfare reform on the one hand and roughly speaking a kind of free trade agenda on the other hand was by and large pretty good. His notion that somehow or other you might not have to have a perfect balanced budget but you had to be reasonably careful about running deficits and public expenditure programs that went too far was probably not a bad thing. On the other hand, he did support a tax increase, as did, of course, the uh, George Bush, the first George Bush before him. And generally speaking, as a classical liberal, low flat taxes are generally preferable to high selective taxes, which you would otherwise have. So it's not as though he's perfectly flawless on these things. But you know, my own view about him is he may not tickle the warm spot inside my heart, but I don't grit my teeth when I mention his name as president. If you go back a little bit earlier, you know, Carter was an erratic fellow. On the domestic front, he did take steps to deregulate the airline business. But on the other hand, his general economic policies produced such enormous difficulties with interest rate stuff. And his foreign policies in often cases was quite feckless with the notable exception, I think, of the Camp David Accords. Then I would not call him a high point, but I think nobody regarded him as a high point, which is one of the reasons why he was so vulnerable uh, to Reagan. You just asked the question, are you better off than you were four years ago? And the answer to that question by pretty much everybody was no. Going back a little bit, you know, uh, LBJ, forget about it from this point of view. He was in many cases a disaster on foreign affairs because of his rather mindless intervention overseas, rigging the Gulf of Tonkin confrontation to expand on the Kennedy involvement in Vietnam turns out to have been a classic mistake. It's not as though I'm always a favor of passivity, but going in against the the Islamic State today seems to me a lot easier case than trying to figure out what goes on in France or rather in Vietnam after the French pull out in 1954. And I think Kennedy was a little too bellicose and I think that Truman was much too bellicose. On the domestic front, uh, John Kennedy was the man who introduced uh, something by way of immigration reform, which is congenial to a classical liberal. He also was by and large in favor of flattening the tax structure a bit. I think that was there. And in general, I don't think 
think that he was particularly hostile to business in terms of the way in which he organized things. But he did make some serious mistakes, of which perhaps the most notable is in 1962 in January. He decided to recognize, for quote-unquote, limited purposes – federal unions, which then sparked a whole variety of state statutes which deal with public unions, which has been a constant source of friction in this country. So I would not treat him as a a real star on this thing, but there were good features and bad. Going back further, I guess it would be to Harry Truman. I admire Truman most on foreign affairs. I think he had a lot of guts. I hope he was right when he did the thing on the bomb. It was clear that his strong Europe policy in the immediate post-war years was very, very vital in making sure that Europe did not get over overrun by the Soviets at a time when they were too weak to defend themselves. On domestic issues, I don't think he was particularly strong. I mean, he did approve the Administrative Procedure Act, but he was very strongly pro-union and tried to veto Taft-Hartley, only to find himself overridden by a combination of conservative Democrats from the South and mainstream Republicans. And he was, by and large, a big government guy, pretty much. But the fact that he was by and large, tough-minded with respect to foreign affairs, which is not the case with the current president, meant that you know he had some real points. But again, I think it's important to note that virtually every one of these presidents who were Democrats in the post-war era were not from the progressive wing. They didn't sound and look like a man named Franklin Roosevelt circa 19th 35 until we get to Barack Obama in 2008. And about that, there's nothing redeeming on either the domestic or the foreign front. I think he's made a mess of virtually every regulatory system. I think he's made virtually every foreign affairs judgment wrong. And I think, in effect, that the country is suffering both domestically and in foreign affairs in virtue of what I regard as a totally misguided form of leadership. So let's explain some of those distinctions. I mean, we started off that conversation by talking about a Clinton presidency that you could have lived with if we're, if we're not excessively enthusiastic for. It's not that long ago. Uh, it's about you know, 20 years ago. gets you to the middle of, of Clinton's first term. So what, what has changed in that time in the Democratic Party that gets you from a president you can certainly live with to, to one that has you pulling out your hair? Well, I mean, it's so many different things that it's really hard to pinpoint any of them. One of them, it's quite clear that the level of growth that we have had has not been as smooth or as strong in the post-Clinton years as we hoped for. If you recall, there was this huge Clinton run-up given at the internet towards the end of his years, followed by a kind of a noticeable bust, but it never spread beyond the internet field. But when he left office, things were feeling a little bit toppy. Uh, George Bush comes in and, you know, he's not the great tonic. He does get a tax relief bill through, but he gets us involved in foreign wars that leave people very uneasy about him, and his domestic record is at most erratic. Growth continues about 2006, and then you have the comeuppance in 2008. And the 2008 thing basically radicalizes the Democratic Party, because it gives you room for the following narrative. All of this stuff happened because important social institutions kowtowed to the likes of Robert Rubin and Lauren Summers, and let the these big banks run roughshod over everybody else, and so it proves that an unregulated economy is a complete failure. This story, I think, is really very flawed because it takes two to tango, and in this particular case, there are at least two other dancing partners that have to be mentioned. One of them is, of course, that it's the Federal Reserve that decides to keep the easy money policy in place, um, and that is a combination of expansionist tendencies driven in part by a Democratic Congress, and easy money 
leads to the willingness to buy assets that are complementary to it, to wit, to borrow large sums of money in order to buy residential housing, which will allow you to get advantage. And sooner or later, that bubble is going to burst. And by God, it did burst. The second thing, which is, again, more Democratic than Republican, is we expanded the eligibility under the various uh, Fannie and Freddie type arrangements so that 55% of the money could now be spent on subsidized housing. You were supposed to have no increase in risk, uh, even though you're giving high risk loans. And that's, of course, just a fantasy. You could easily meet the target of expanding the number of minorities' participation in this thing. It's much harder to make sure that you keep underwriting stable. So when this thing falls down, there's a built-in narrative that everything has been done wrong by the Republicans and so forth. And the other side, explaining why government had its fair share to contribute to this thing, starts to get lost. So now you have that dissatisfaction, and it morphs with the dissatisfaction over Bush and foreign affairs. My own reading is uh, the war, although I, I could not remember whether I supported it or opposed it at the time, I was just genuinely uncertain since I didn't have a lot of private information. I thought that winning it would be easier than most of the critics did, and it was. What was the great Bush debacle was that he screwed up the piece. He just simply did not take seriously how it is that you try and figure out how to transition Iraq from a guy like Saddam Hussein to something that looks vaguely like, if not a democratic country, at least a law-abiding one. And he had the wrong administrators, made the wrong decisions with respect to the military when he he basically uh, decommissioned them, didn't pay them anything, and gave them their arms. He was just asking for trouble, and he didn't know how to manage the economy. In fact, there was no professional economist actually helping out in Iraq in 2003 when the dust settled on the war. I think he recovered his bearings on all fronts with respect to the surge, which the Democrats fiercely opposed. And when he got peace, their attitude was, well, we should have never gone into Iraq to begin with. And then they asked exactly the wrong question. Um, if we shouldn't have gone in, then we clearly should get out. Instead of saying, now now that we're in up to our eyebrows and we've managed to restore the peace, can we get out in an easy way? And the answer to that question is that breaking up is hard to do. Every time the United States has tried to withdraw from a country which it has helped out, pulling out the troops from South Korea in 1949 is a nice example. What you've seen is a fierce reaction on the other side. It took a couple of years to develop, but this was perfectly predictable from my point of view. And now you have a president who's trying to pump the prime on domestic reform, who turns out to be quite divisive in the people whom he sues, mainly the large banks and the other corporations of one form or another, has a too pacifist foreign policy, and an effect on issues like trade and unionization is strongly anti-growth. Uh, so I regard the current administration, without question, as by far the worst that the United States has had uh, since the end of the Second World War. And for those people who want to question my sanity and certainly believe that it's far worse than the Harding administration, which ended with his death in 1923, it may be Obama will turn out to be the worst president ever, as far as I can see. So at this particular point, my disenchantment with the Republican Party is, shall we say, more than offset by my true dismay with respect to the state of the Democratic Party. I can't think of a thing they want to do or of an editorial I could read in the New York Times for the most part dealing with American domestic economic issues on which I have the slightest bit of sympathy. If you figure out what a classical liberal principle is, turn the dial 180 degrees in the opposite direction and there you will find the modern progressive version of the Democratic Party. So the final question I'll put to you then, it does seem that six years in, the, the broader public has started to sour on the Obama administration in a way that is qualitatively different and deeper 
than they had before. So the question I have for you is the implications that has for the Democratic Party. There are – I think this is Charles Kessler's theory, the, these various – these waves of progressivism throughout about the last hundred years. Woodrow Wilson, FDR, LBJ, now you have Obama. What's salient about those first three is there was always – there was a there was a big wave and then there was sort of a, a settled period afterwards where you didn't have that sort of aggressive forward motion. Uh, do you think once the Obama administration is over that maybe this sort of progressive blitzkrieg pulls back a little bit in the Democratic Party? Well, it depends on who wins the election. Part of the reasons why the Republicans stopped is Wilson was replaced by Harding and then was replaced by Coolidge, right? Um, Truman, who was a moderate progressive, was replaced by Eisenhower. Johnson was replaced by Nixon. Um, Carter was replaced by Reagan. So um, this might happen if it turns out that Obama is replaced by a centrist Republican. It will surely close things down. What is so clear to me is that the powerful resurgence of the Democratic left is something which we did not see in earlier times. I mean, these guys are after Obama from the other side. If I want deregulation of the banks, they want nationalization of the banks and so forth. And you could just go down the, down the issue of issues. And they have a kind of a magnetic spokesman in Elizabeth Warren, uh, whom I never much admired as an academic. I'm sure the feeling is mutual on that issue. But she has a way to galvanize people in a way that Hillary Clinton does not. Miss Clinton, I think, is not anything close to a shoo-in in this election because she doesn't have have the kind of nimbleness and an agility in the way in which she appears in public. She is somebody who has meticulous um, preparation, but if the situation calls for improvisation, it's just not the way she works. That was her husband's great strength. They were kind of the opposites. He had no preparation and great inspiration. She has intensive preparation, but she has no inspiration, and that will wear down voters. They're basically listening to her talk is like watching a PowerPoint presentation. You know that the whole thing has been planned in advance and that you and the audience can't get her to do one thing or another that deviates from that line. And it seems clear that virtually each of the presentations that she has made recently have only served moderately, not divisively, to diminish her, uh, her standing in the eyes of the centrist Democrats whom she has to rely on to win. So I regard this as far from a lock. I don't think that Elizabeth Warren could win a general election. It would be hard for her outside of places like Massachusetts even to win a primary. Uh, but it does open the field up for some third candidate of whom I have no particular knowledge, a kind of a younger version of a centrist Democrat uh, to start to come in. If that kind of person wins, then you'll slow things up. If it's an Elizabeth Warren who wins, God knows what's coming next. If a Republican wins, what will happen is you'll change a lot. And here's one of the reasons why it will change. Obama, knowing that he has rickety congressional support, has done a huge amount of stuff by executive order. And what will happen is that which is done by executive order can be undone by executive order. And a Republican who comes in will sweep the boards clean on the most controversial things that he's put into place. So I think you will have some kind of reaction. But the Republican Party has the infinite capacity to shoot itself in its own foot. I don't believe that Rand Paul could win a general election. Watching, if you saw the column that was written by Ross Dutout the other day, uh, Ted Cruz is not very nimble in the way in which he starts to deal with audiences that are not his natural friends. I don't think he could win a political election. He's a great debater. But again, he's a debater on his own terms. He's not real good in trying to figure out what to do when he's taking on topics that don't fall within his comfort zone. Uh, my own weak preference at this point is I think somebody like Scott Walker, provincial as he is, I, he's a governor, not a senator, but I think he has pretty good political instincts, is a little bit more adept on his feet than Mrs. Clinton, and also is younger 
and will appeal more. She runs the serious risk of going down the tubes because people regard her as royalty. She has a husband who's a royal. She has a very fancy daughter. Uh, she certainly has a, a kind of very elegant lifestyle in, in what she's been able to do. And, and this may not appeal to people who think that the grinding poverty of the United States and the lack of income inequality is the dominant issue. She does not poll well, I suspect, on those things because she does not appear well on those things. So I think it's really up to grabs as to what's going forward. I don't claim any expertise as a political um, as a political seer, but I can tell you that my crystal ball is quite cloudy indeed. And on that note, I think I shall stop predictions for the future. <laughs> All right, Richard. Well, thank you as always. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian by visiting Defining Ideas at hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org. Hoover.org.